0: morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and across the table from me, I have Rick Whitmer. Rick, it's good to have you back on the podcast. It's
1: good to be back. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Christmas time, though. It's Chris- a good time to be back.
0: It's your favorite time.
1: As it's the most wonderful time of the year.
0: It is. It is. Especially for you.
1: <sighs> yes. <laughs> Always has been, ever since I can remember. <laughs>
0: So you uh I'm assuming you have all your Christmas decorations so out mesh. by now and yeah, yeah. And you get uh what is the uh what is the set with all the angels and the shepherds? And, nativity nativity scene. That's right. That's You're right. You're doing a Christmas podcast and you don't know. We're talking about the nativity scene today. <laughs> yeah. Yes we are. Yes. Okay, so you probably have your nativity set out now at everything. home.
1: On my desk at the office, yeah. When I walk by Costco, I go down that aisle, and they have a really good one that I can't afford. You have your so.
0: Christmas-scented candles in the office.
1: Yep, yes. all of the above.
0: Yeah, it is a it is great, a joyful place at the church mm-hmm. these days. <laughs> okay, we're we're here, <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about uh, the nativity scene, right? Of uh, who who was um. at of the birth of Christ. And we know that um, when God does something, He does it with a purpose. He does it perfectly.
1: No, seriously, that is so true. And when we really understand that, so many superfluous details in Scripture, which don't immediately seem clear to us as far as why they're there, they take on such huge significance. Um, And so that is a good thing to bring up. I'm glad you brought that up.
0: So, why why the angels? Why the shepherds? Why the magi? Why the gifts? Um why do the angels appear to the shepherds? Uh, is there is there a symbolic significance to this point? What's what's going on there?
1: So, yeah, so to this point, if I remember correctly, you on the podcast we've talked about the Old Testament anticipation yeah. of the Messiah, yep. right? Which which is You know, two-thirds of Scripture leading up to this point, and then um, talking about the genealogy of Jesus and how ever since the Garden of Eden, the promise of the the seed that would crush the serpent's head and all the genealogies of Scripture are leading up to this genealogy and this child from this family, from this tribe, from this nation. And now we have an unlikely group of people who are being invited to the birth by the hosts of heaven. You know, to kind of set the stage since we're talking about the scripture, is it okay if I actually just read the text about the shepherds? Sure. Okay, this is out of Luke 2, uh, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people." For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In some uh, translations, many manuscripts actually say um, peace, goodwill among men. Mm -hmm. So this is good news for all people. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Um, you know, so we had the, these shepherds, and shepherds always come with a context. Usually there's sheep involved. Uh, <laughs> there are fields, there are smells and odors, and there are tremendous social stigmas. Um, when we're talking about the shepherds, here, um, these are these are shepherds near Bethlehem. Bethlehem's about six miles from Jerusalem, and the sheep that were raised in those fields served um, the purpose of sacrifice. So we have shepherds whose year-round job was to be out in the fields with animals that were being raised to be sacrificed at the temple, hmm. and and that's significant because now the angels are coming to 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 invite them to go to call them to go and see the lamb of God, who, who is the type, who is the, 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 anti-type, the one whom all these, these sheep and these lambs were, had always been pointing to in, in God's design. And these guys are humble and despised. Um, and by humble, I don't mean that they were, you know, meek, mild, and refined. Mm-hmm. I, I mean that they were despised in, um, in Jewish law, um, these shepherds, they couldn't even be witnesses at court. If they witnessed a crime or had something to contribute, their testimony was considered so um, corrupt simply because of who they were hmm. that they could not give legal testimony. Wow. They were the lowest of the low, um, very rough-and-tumble types, very possibly. And yeah. so the kind, of, the kind of people that um, you don't invite to church, you invite them to the, the service at the mission, yeah <laughs> when you come across them. Um, and yet these are the men, um, despised by everybody else who were invited by the hosts of heaven to go and witness the, um, the prince of peace having just been born. Yeah. You know, and, and you have these angels and it says the, the hosts of heaven, the heavenly host, which is a military term, you have a, the military might of heaven um, announcing a message of peace. And inviting the most despised to go and and hear and to see what kings and leaders who were just a few miles away were not given the privilege of seeing, hmm. and okay. so you have this entire gospel reversal of everything that had been, would be expected um, and privilege given to the people who are um, despised
0: and rejected. So how does that how does that continue into Christ's ministry? Because it seems like it doesn't just stop at the birth of Christ, it seems like Christ opens that whole ministry up to, you know, the woman at the well, for instance. Yeah. Or who? Well, look at
1: that even. So you got the contrast of in in John 3, Nicodemus, one of the most esteemed teachers of Israel who doesn't get it. And then you've got this despised woman who's who's suffered through how many husbands? And we don't know the circumstances around that, but this is an ostracized woman. Yeah. And a Samaritan at that. Yeah. And yet she does get it because God opens her eyes. And it's and it's showing that God is not in the business of doing things the world's way yeah. but he calls those who are who are the perfect picture of the of what we all are undeserving yeah. um, sinners who that who are precisely who the gospel is for you know and these are the men you know he says in verse 10 that um, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior he's he is not just saying hey this is for all people even though he does say that but he's he's personalizing it for them yeah. and and then what do they do immediately after after you know they're afraid rightly yeah. these guys who probably aren't afraid of too much um being who they are are afraid of this because you got the angel appearing to them and then the hosts and then the angel first says don't be afraid go into bethlehem and see the child and as soon as the heavenly host Leave. They get up and they obey, and they and they go, just like they're told. And then, um, when they saw it, it says in verse seventeen, they made known the saying, and all who heard it wondered. So they become the first evangelists yeah. of the gospel.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and they they leave everything. Like they leave their business, they leave their job, <laughs> they leave their sheep out in the open. Yeah, and they go. <laughs> It's it's pretty cool.
1: Well, in this image here of going to see this child wrapped in swaddling cloths in itself, and this is a side note, but this is is just like God to do this. This child's here um, swaddled in probably what was not a stable, but a cave. Hmm. Um, And where are we going to see that again? That child was there swaddled in this cave for a reason, so that he could be swaddled again yeah. and laid to rest in a cave yeah. for our salvation. Yeah. And so these these images that are here are...
0: It sends chills down my spine. It really does. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's really cool. Yeah. So what about uh, the Magi in Matthew chapter 2? What What's the significance of these guys showing up?
1: uh, much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to be I think specific. you preached a sermon on this, didn't you? I did a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, I love these guys, the Magi. Um, can I read a little bit yeah, from absolutely. here? Okay. This is from Matthew chapter two. Um, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king. So we're fast forwarding, even though we're in Matthew two, um, two books before Luke, we're actually fast forwarding from the scene we just left with, with the shepherds. Um, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Okay, so they're, they're searching the scriptures now. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And he's quoting, and you, O Bethlehem, in the in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Uh, end quote. Uh, then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly uh, he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, "Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him." And we know this is a ruse, okay? Yeah, well actually he says that. <laughs> After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother. So now they've they've moved from the cave to a house. Apparently they're they're still in Bethlehem and now he's Based on the timeline of how many, how old the children are that Herod commands to be killed, two years and under, we know this is within a couple years of the birth, but he's Jesus the toddler now. The child would marry his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him (coughs) gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. so these guys are from the east. There um, is Babylon or Persia over there in that region, and we've seen these kind of men before. Um, we go back to the Book of Daniel, and we see Daniel is among the wise men of Babylon, hmm. um, and then he carries on his career when the Persians take over. And this is the this is the class of men that these guys belong to the hmm. the Magi, the wise men. This is an official um, astrological guild, kind of to where they were studying the stars to discern, um, you know, what events would happen, to try to interpret what's going on in the world, giving counsel to kings. You know, we sing, we three kings of Orient are, but uh, they weren't actually kings, but they were King Lee. Hmm. You know, they were at home in palaces. And so when they come, it's it's big enough of a deal that it makes a splash in the royal palace in Judea. And so Herod is taking note and inviting these guys to dinner and trying to have conversation with them. And they would have felt very at home there because they've been around kings, you know, their entire career. Um, They're scholars. Uh, And the idea that these guys, these Gentiles and these kingly Gentiles at that are being led by God through a miracle. And that's what the star is. I mean, there's really not much of another way to be faithful to the text than to see that this star is something miraculous Um, because it was, you know, it's a star and we know what that is. um, And yet it comes down in such a way that these guys are able to follow it. And, and not only follow it from the East to Jerusalem, but follow it from Jerusalem specifically six miles away to a specific house. So Mm -hmm. this is, this star is doing things that stars don't normally do. Yeah. And apparently, they see it, and Herod and his soldiers don't. Hmm. So this is a God thing happening, and these Gentiles are being led to Jesus. And it reminds me of how Paul in 1 Timothy 2 says that he would have uh, men lift up holy hands and, and... make supplication for kings and all those who are in authority. Um, all types of men, because it's God's will that not any should perish, but that, that all should come to knowledge of the truth. Um, all types of people, yeah. these kinds of guys included, pagan astrologers from royal society. So that's that's hugely significant. And, and the fact that they're Gentiles yeah. is also... When you read that in light of its Old Testament context in salvation for the gentiles is a messianic thing that's going to happen especially in Isaiah and so we see these gentile kingly type of guys coming and all sorts of prophecy bells sh- would you know should be going off in our old testament you know categories yeah. oh
0: this is huge yeah and so yeah so these wise men bring gifts they bring gold frankincense and myrrh well let's start here were there three wise men rick um
1: probably at least but we don't know (laughs) the you know the reason we talk about three wise men is because of the three gifts that they bring and so it's just a handy way of thinking about it but it's not necessarily an accurate way of thinking about it that we just don't know the text doesn't
0: say yeah yeah Okay, so but what what is the significance of of these gifts that they that they bring?
1: Well, now I'm going to turn to Isaiah 60, but would you be willing to turn to Psalm 72? Sure. Um, we're going to look here at some of the significance, but basically the main point of the story is you know we got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are our kingly gifts, and these are kingly men who are coming, and and these would be the kind of gifts that a king would receive from princes. And so we have this very obvious point that this toddler, Jesus, is a king. And he's the kind who properly receives kingly gifts from the powerful men of the world. So this isn't common. This is a unique thing that's happening because of this unique child um, who is God with us. Um, And that should in itself be instructive to us um, because... Who's higher than a king or who's more esteemed than those who are found in royal courts? Well, nobody. And so from the top of society all the way down to the peasants, if that's how these guys respond, so should we. Yeah. And um, these are pr- the gifts particularly are of prophetic significance. Um, in Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 6, listen to this prophecy and think about the gifts. Think about the Gentiles and think about these kingly men. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news and praises of the Lord. Hmm. So this is is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen as a result of this child having come. Because when he comes later to establish his kingdom, this type of thing, this is going to be the norm. So these guys are, in a sense, the first fruits of this prophecy coming to pass. And they're bringing exactly the gifts that the prophet 700 years earlier said they would bring. And they're doing it because of the child, the star that had, had, his star rose. And that was an announcement that this king had come. And they probably were reading the Old Testament manuscripts that they had become acquainted with because of Daniel and Balaam's prophecies in Numbers 24 when he prophesies about a star rising that would signify the king coming. And so they knew what to look for. But then in, in Psalm 72, if you would read just verses 8 through 11.
0: Yeah. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. And so we see these guys
1: who are coming from the Eastern empires that had been dominant over Israel and now... You know, after this time of silence in the intertestamental period, Israel is under Roman rule, um, and, and, the, and the Roman king over them, who is himself an Edomite, uh, King Herod, yeah. lays his plans to go and destroy this child, but these kings from the east, uh, or these, these wise men from the east, come and thwart those plans, and now are bringing tribute to the king of the nation they once held captive. Yeah. And so there's this full circle that once the gospel comes through in Jesus Christ, um, f- everything is starting to be made right. Yeah. Um, and, and for those of us who bow down to him in worship, just to make it personal, um, the response of these wise men is in itself instructive to us. You know, because if they're bringing these kind of gifts with them, these costly gifts— that's almost an invitation for us to evaluate, what are we bringing? Because we, this is the same Jesus, you know, that we worship, that we bow down before. We see him in the scriptures, and we need to evaluate our lives in light of that. Is Are we offering not only a living sacrifice, but is all of what we have at his disposal? Okay. Because this is a way of bringing tribute. He is worthy. And that should be a regular facet of our of our Advent and Christmas self-examination.
0: Yeah. Well, we started this podcast with, you know, when God does something, when he plans something, he does it perfectly and with a purpose. And we see that, I mean, from, from the beginning of, you know, time, the foundation was laid that Christ would come, that he would, give himself as a sacrifice, but we see how this is being played out, right? Like how, yeah. how from Genesis three mm-hmm. in the garden where there's going to be one who's going to come and crush the head of Satan. But then we see all these other prophecies of like the star shining yeah. and the magi coming and yeah. and it's, it's pretty awesome when you take all those things and put it together and see it yeah. for what it is.
1: It, it makes those nativity scenes yeah. really meaningful. Yeah. Not just tradition, yeah, but meaningful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, when when the shepherds witnessed the Messiah, they worshipped. They they went and told others. They sung praises, as it says in in Luke. When the magi yeah. saw Christ, they bowed down in worship. You know, grown men falling down before a child. Yeah, and, and they brought their gifts. And, and that's it, important. They falling down before a child. Yeah, a toddler. Yeah. You know that
1: doesn't happen, yeah, yeah, except when people are crying out, "Please make it stop yeah like, I'll, I'll give you anything, just go to bed, please, you yes. know, but this kind of thing
0: doesn't happen yeah. yeah, I don't know anything of what you just talked about right, guys. <laughs> um how does how should the reaction and you and you touched on it here in a little bit, but it, how does the reaction of the shepherds and the magi? How should it transform our worship? Yeah. And how should it transform our evangelism?
1: Oh, this is this is a good question. Uh, very good question. You know, I think when we actually look at how the Magi respond, um, it's instructive to us, right? Because what were they doing? Uh, well, they were probably searching their Bibles. You know, and then when this, this star rises, it's a new thing happening. But yeah. they had the context for understanding it. Yeah. So they follow it all the way across an empire to... To Jerusalem yeah. to inquire where is this child and then so and then it says they um, when they saw him they fell down and they worshiped and they gave gifts and so the question for us is where are we seeing Jesus well we would see him in his word yeah. as it's preached as it's read and I think one of the things that's natural for us to do is to siphon off our, our Bible reading, our seeing of Jesus, as it were, yeah. um, from response to Jesus. And we think of, okay, we had our devotional time. But the thing is, we ought not ever to separate our Bible reading and our theology and our learning from the the full circle of that learning, which is to fall down before this Jesus and worship him. And so we need to be thinking about all of our Bible in terms of communion with Jesus. Um, And that's a picture we see here in these wise men. And it's one of the reasons they're actually wise. You know, they actually are wise because it would be very unwise not to respond the way they do to the child that they have just come before. And the second thing with both these shepherds and these wise men is they're both doing something that is very uncharacteristic for their social class. You don't see kingly men bowing down before a toddler. You don't see despised shepherds casting off all concern on what will people think, and they just go and announce things because they already know people have no reason to believe them. They can't even give testimony in court. So here's what it should look like in the church. Who, who even cares what people think if I raise my hands or if I'm singing really loud, but I'm a really bad singer? <laughs> that actually makes me really happy yeah. when I hear that yeah. because I know that God's people are responding. That, that person is responding the way that Jesus is worthy of being responded to. Yeah. I think a great tragedy is when people don't sing in church because it's actually a command. Yeah. Um, and what does that say? if we don't sing. And I look around sometimes and I see someone not singing from time to time and I try not to make any conclusions about that, but it always gets me wondering what's going on in that person's heart right now that they are just stone-faced and unresponsive to this. This is God's people singing before their Savior and that is as it should be. You know, we should be singing together. So I think it invites us to forget ourselves by focusing exclusively on this yeah. Child, yeah. Who's yeah. our king?
0: I, I I can't help but think of go back to that the woman at the well, or the demoniac. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, people who are transformed by Christ respond, you know. Yes. Like the woman at the well, when she comes to that realization, like, oh, oh my word, this is him. She goes and tells everybody about it and then when the duaniac is healed of the legion of demons he goes to Jesus and says Jesus I want to go with you and Jesus says <laughs> yeah. no go tell your village about me and he goes and does it yeah and you see that time and time again throughout the gospels of people being transformed by Christ and and they they worship and they tell other tell other people about what Christ has done yeah and you know, when you when you look through this account of or these two accounts in in Matthew and Luke, it's like these it's the same thing happening here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Go tell it on the mountain. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I think anything that's that's transformative is going to transform the way you do things.
1: Yeah, and if there's one thing that's clear is that Christmas is about transformation. Yeah, You know, what else are we saying? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Yeah. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, yeah. hail incarnate deity. Yeah. That one will keep us scratching our heads forever, mm-hmm. as it should. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones' uh, Martin Lloyd Jones sermon that he preached on Christmas Day. I was listening to this just a few days ago. And, uh, and he said that just may be one of the... The that may be the greatest hymn that was ever written. Hmm. Um, Hark, the herald angels sing. I mean, just the the depth of theology that goes into the incarnation, yeah. and the the necessity of it for Easter to come, yeah. Yeah. and for our redemption. Yeah. We can't do without it. It's good that we celebrate that. Yeah,
0: and that's a plug to tune back in next week as we talk about this idea of the hypostatic union mm-hmm. of Christ. Um, why it's necessary here at the birth of birth of our Savior? Well, Rick, I'm going to finish with this this last question. As you are well aware of, the church has been infiltrated by the world in how we celebrate Christmas. Right? We have Santa Clauses and and Grinches and Olafs and everybody <laughs> running around our church stages, or not ours, but the church at large. Um, it seems like Christmas has has flipped in the church, and now we're just trying to get people in the door, so we're going to have the Grinch on our platform.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Sometimes you don't even need him on your platform. He's already in your pew, (laughs) and you know who he he is. He will not smile (laughs) or respond in kind.
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot that can be said about that, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, no, no, we're not. Uh, what are some ways that people can keep a healthy and biblical perspective during the Christmas season? Yeah. How do we keep our minds from what the world is saying and what? christ is saying okay
1: yeah so there's actually i think two dynamics going on here one is that yes the church has taken its cues from the world sometimes um but the other is that the world isn't that original Hmm. um so they they more often will corrupt good things than they will just come up with really bad things out of thin air and go, oh, look how original we are. Yeah. And Christmas is one of those times. Yeah. Um, you know, the world has taken what is Christian history and stripped it down. Santa Claus, that's, he's our guy, actually. Um, we go back to the Council of Nicaea, and we see St. Nicholas of Myra, uh, who's the bishop of Myra. He's actually, <laughs> he's, going, he, he's going at it against Arius um, with vigor, and so he's actually one of the most staunch defenders of the deity of Christ in church history. You know, that's our guy, and the fact that he's been, you know, immortalized in legend, you know, we don't need to shy away from that, so sure, let's make Chris, you know, Santa can be part of the celebration, but we need to remember that he needs his proper place. I actually remember as a kid, my parents had a decoration of Santa kneeling at the manger, yeah, okay, the red suit that's that's here the, neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. That's an American thing. But the idea behind it is appropriate. So we can actually look at at things like the Christmas lights. You know who invented that? That was Martin Luther. He put candles on Christmas trees um to it's make probably a not point. the
0: smartest th- thing to do. No,
1: it's good that we have LEDs <laughs> yeah. you know now, you know, we're not going to burn it down. Um <laughs> And so we can actually go through, and there's been some great stuff in the past few years that's come out that helps us look into our all-too-familiar traditions, and instead of shunning them as just secularisms, actually bring them back Hmm. and make them what they actually were about. Hmm. Um, Doug Wilson wrote a book a few years ago called God Rest Ye Mary, and that is a very, very, uh, it's a short and very potent book that deals with that Hmm. Um, gift-giving. You know, okay. So Christians will decry materialism. Oh, materialism! Don't. Well, think about what the incarnation is. is very materialistic, not in not in the sinful sense, but in the sense of what are we celebrating? God became material, hmm. and so it, it's actually quite appropriate that we would be giving gifts, and celebrating in a full-throated, joyous fashion, yeah. eating a lot of fudge. Yeah. Um, with wisdom, biblical wisdom all through it. You know, we're not going to be gluttons. We're not going to go into debt, you know, so we'll be Christianly in how we do it. But just because the world has lost all vision for the depth of these things doesn't mean that we need to abandon the things. It means we need to, to redeem them. Yeah. And so, you know, read God Rest you, Mary, or, and I'm going to get flack for this, or I'm going to get made fun of, but I actually really like, um, a video, a movie, Kirk Cameron did a few years ago called Saving Christmas. Um, the whole thing is about the history behind these things, and you can laugh, um, and I don't even care because I'm right. And, no, it's. yeah. But you know, that's that's a really good film because I think is it helps uh, helps us see those things. You know, we've got uh, our church Advent devotional for um, December. Oh, come, let us adore Him. That's a great book. We should be, you know, reading that. Or we've got other Advent books on the, on the church bookshelf. These are great, um, not time-consuming ways to remember why we do what we do, the significance of it, and how it should be transformative in our lives. And, um, you know, the Advent wreaths that we can use in their, in our family worship guides through the Christmas season— um, we have Advent readings in our family worship guides already, so there are all these resources that are just already here in the church that help us do these things well. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good reminder. It's a good reminder to to realize that the world is has corrupted good things. You know, as you were talking about Saint Nick, I, I thought about Muhammad Ali because he's he's been nicknamed the Muhammad Ali of evangelicalism, hasn't he? <laughs> Who did? By me, I guess. <laughs> That's the first I've heard of it. <laughs>
1: what What happened there? I don't even know. Oh. Uh, I think you get, did not get a good night's sleep last night. Oh, That's okay. what happened there. Okay.
0: Well, somebody, if you're <laughs> listening to this and you're confused, just ask ask Rick about it. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Church, we love you. Uh, yeah. We hope that this has been an encouragement to you. I know it has been for me. Uh, it's always great to be reminded of these things during during the holiday season because it's so easy for us to get off track uh, and put our focus on, on the things of this world and instead of pointing it back to Christ. So we hope this has been an encouragement to you. We hope you come back next week as we talk about the hypostatic union and, it's and every, everything that it entails, yeah. Uh, so we look forward to that. Church, we love you again. I said it three times already. Um, but we look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on the voice of the valley. Have a great day.